uh, as Bob and Tom and, and Mark and Dan, I'm, I'm going to ask you to come up here. Um, and uh, as they come, I'm going to ask them to take just a couple of minutes each and talk about what they see God doing across the country. Because God is stirring and God is moving. Uh, Bob, I'm going to share my mic with you. Um, Bob and I were just in a, in a national prayer leaders event. I'm not sure how national it was, but uh, we were just in a national prayer leaders event in Austin, Texas with about 20 men. And to see cities that are having united prayer, 24-7 prayer, by 30 churches taking a day each and praying 24-7 for God to move in their land. That's doable in southwest Georgia. Surely we've got 30 churches in southwest Georgia that would say, we'd take a day. Our church would own that day to pray for our city, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our community, to break the bonds of sin and death that are going on in our society. Um, there's a lot happening. And so Bob, uh, Bob runs in a lot of circles and uh, has been a part of about every national prayer movement over the last several decades, uh, literally covered the globe with prayer rallies in one day, went completely around the globe with tens of thousands of people in stadiums praying and crying out to God. So I want Bob to talk about that. Tom, I, I want you, if you would, to talk about what God is doing outside of the continental United States. Uh, Mark, I want you to talk about what happens when churches really move into revival. And Daniel, if you would, about how this is bigger than culture or socioeconomics or anything else, that, that revival is a work of God that breaks down all of that, all the junk that we have built up. So, Bob, if you'd start. Yeah, it's a, a real privilege to be with you. And uh, I've invested the last 30 years of my life mobilizing movements of united prayer, <clears throat> both domestically and internationally, and being a student of revival and also a student of past prayer, prayer movements. And I have given myself uh, to trying to mobilize in all categories, whether it be individual prayer or church-wide prayer or city-wide prayer or even national prayer. And um, Michael mentioned the, the global day of prayer where we covered the earth. Um, I would just... Uh, <clears throat> where to start? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what which example, but take the city of Austin, for example. The city of Austin is one of those remarkable examples of pastors across denominational lines uh, finding each other in friendship, starting with friendship. They have a thing called PIC, P-I-C, which means Pastors in Covenant. And for the past 20 years or so, for the past two decades at least, uh, pastors throughout the, uh, the city of Austin, Texas, have been meeting together in small groups uh, on a regular basis and praying together, getting, becoming each other's dearest friends, and that has raised up a prayer movement in Austin, which is absolutely stunning, absolutely remarkable to behold. And they are now covering the city in prayer. Uh, Michael uh, mentioned the Pray Austin, which has now become, excuse me, uh, Austin Praise, 
which has now become America Praise, uh, and perhaps Albany can pick up the, uh, the gauntlet on this too, uh, to find 31 churches, and just, this is just one piece of the pie, to one, 30, 31 churches that will each take a day and cover the 24 hours of that day so that an entire city or an t- entire town can be covered 24-7. But it, but it doesn't, uh, such movements do not begin out of just simply a grandiose vision and then you mobilize some people together and you, and you get them going. It, it arises out of friendships and, and deep uh, bonds of, of personal encounters over a long period of time where, uh, where people come to uh, jointly not only love each other but love the place where they are and know that God has given them, has assigned to them from, from before the foundations of the earth. He has raised them up in this moment in time for this place and this people, uh, for the transformation of this place and these people, for the glory of God, for the salvation in Jesus Christ, and for the transformation that takes place when uh, people come into a right relationship with God. So these relationships over many years, uh, over the past uh, 20 years or so, I've been in and out of Boston, uh, excuse me, Austin, on a regular basis, Ah, regular basis, periodic basis, and I have led prayer summits, three-day prayer summits, where we, just for three days, um, uh, upwards of 200, 250 pastors, we just go away together into the whole country of Texas. And just for three days, we do nothing but pray together. And this has been going on for the past 20 years, and it's raised up an entire then uh, culture of prayer together. And now there are all kinds of things that are, that are taking place, evangelistic efforts, Prayer efforts, uh, to be sure, but also the racial reconciliation piece uh, is one of their uh, is one of their jewels in the crown in Austin. It's an example of what God is doing. I could tell you about Reno, Nevada. I could tell you about what's happening in New York. New York City is one of the great untold stories with regard to the movement of prayer that began in 1993. The city of New York has been prayed over 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year by hundreds of churches uh, since 1993. And if you had been there in New York back in the 1980s and seen the porn theaters and the strip joints and the adult peep shows and so on in in Manhattan and the prostitutes along Third Avenue and the drug culture and the trains that were graffitied and it was a mess. It was a dirty, filthy, violent mess. And that city has been transformed and the relationships among pastors regularly now on an annual basis, three, four hundred pastors go away together for three days and they pray together. And it's across racial lines, black, white, Hispanic, uh, Chinese, etc. This is going on. This has always been going on where God intends to do a great work. And I believe uh, uh, he wants to cast a vision for where you live, too, in the same manner. It's been um, a humbling privilege of mine to spend the last several years traveling to an awful lot of countries all over the world just due to responsibilities that the Lord had given me. And I'm so grateful for that, but I'll tell you that it has ruined me. Uh, some of us were recently at a prayer gathering at the, at the Cove and the Billy Graham Center, and uh, uh, Sammy Tibbet made a statement, which is absolutely true. If you want to see revival, real revival, just get on a plane and go someplace. 
get out of the country because God is moving in power by his spirit all over the world in pockets, places where you would absolutely never imagine it. Right now in the world, uh, there, there are several pockets where incredibly fast-growing church planning movements are taking place. You'll be interested in knowing that every one of them is born out of prayer. And you may think that there is a way either to bring revival or to see God move in your church other than prayer. Go ahead and think that if you want. But when you're through thinking that and finally get desperate, you're going to come back to prayer. That's exactly what has happened around the world. One of, if not the fastest growing church planting movements on this globe is taking place as we sit here in Cuba. If we could build a bridge, you could walk out to Cuba. And it has taken place under some of the most dire circumstances you can ever imagine. And it has taken place in the arena of prayer. Nobody can take credit for it but God. It has taken place because of prayer. As you know, in the Cuban government, the belief is that a church has a building. That's because they're rooted in their, in their Catholic traditions. And so they just decided the way to shut down churches was to uh, uh, just say, we'll build no more buildings. We'll grant, and, and in their mind, that was it. But they said, yeah, if you guys want to meet here or there to pray and houses, well, that's fine. And so churches begin to develop houses of prayer. I have stood in local communities after having spoken to 50 or 60 people in one house and the pastor said, now over there, the senior adults are meeting and uh, there are about 150 of them and down the streets, our young adults are meeting in another house and they're involved in prayer and worship, Bible study and, just, and, and occasionally we'll just all get in the street and worship God. God is moving in an incredible fashion across Cuba, but it is because of prayer. Uh, not long ago, I was in a meeting of, uh, with 200 pastors. Now, this is in Cuba, out at a retreat center. By the way, uh, while we enjoyed this meal this morning, I remember the day we met for a week at a camp, and I remember the day we got meat. Everybody had a chicken leg. They cheered. That was, and that was the only day we had meat during the entire retreat. The rest of it was just rice and beans and beans and rice. And the men, you think, you know, it's tough for me. Those, those men didn't care. They, they, had, they were meeting to pray. And here's what would happen. These men would stay. We had a room about twice this size. They would stand one at a time. And each man would say, pray for me because I plan to start 10 churches next year. Now, that didn't mean that he was going to go 10 places and pray that, you know, maybe God will start a church here. That, no, that meant he was already at work, that God was already at work. A congregation, 10 congregations were already gathered. What he was meaning by that is, I hope to have enough scripture into the hearts of people that they can do what in Cuba you do when you, when you get officially, you, you become a, a house of prayer, considered a church. And that is the entire church has to show up. Usually there are other churches at the same time. And every member of the church has to stand and answer with scripture specific doctrinal questions. 
And so they were gathered together, one of them had 10 churches, and so he would tell where. Then all 200 people would fall to their knees and pray for that man and pray for those 10 churches. And then the next man would stand up, and he would say, I plan to, I, I plan to start five churches or 12 churches. I, uh, four men came to me with grief and said, we want to apologize because last year we only started four churches. And they said, you know, we, we thought of this maybe as an excuse. We live in a little old village that, that has no, it's way on the end of the island. We, we have no transportation. Uh, a truck from the government comes in at 11 o'clock every night, and the same truck leaves at 5 o'clock the next morning. That's the only trans. And we, we only planted churches where we could walk. We only planted four churches. Brothers and sisters, what's happened to us? What we'd like to do is really own that and say, well, you know, they're really enjoying, you know. No, no, no. No, they're enjoying God. What, what God is doing as he's sweeping over that island. I could take you to North Africa. I could take you to Southeast Asia. I, 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 well, the list is endless. But listen, I can tell you that the one characteristic every one of these movements share in common is prayer. It's for the reason I'm so excited that Mark has given himself to, to going wherever God will, will take him and speak on the subject of prayer. We cannot do it without prayer. You know, Jonathan Edwards said that uh, the primary way God advances his kingdom is through periodic outpourings of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when we don't see those is you get this dead orthodoxy that begins to use every gimmick it can use to try to bring people in, or you get this heretical teachings that really appeals to greed and nothing more. But, but when God begins to move into a church, my, my first experience in life action ministries was in 1989 at Birchman Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth, uh, which was a meeting set for two weeks that ended up going for six weeks. And I remember those services would last three hours. And when they ended, they ended because it just got late, but nobody would leave because the presence of God was there. And what you saw was these incredible movements of confession openly of sin, of, uh, of reconciliation between factions. You know, by the way, to this day, I will have people, my wife and I visited Birchman uh, passing through one time, and a couple of people found out we were with Life Action Ministries. And within a few moments during the greeting time, we were surrounded by a small crowd of people who said, 30 years ago, God saved our marriage. And he's 30, God changed our lives. And, and it's that thing, we, we don't want a stirring, we want to see a change. And so what happens is when God begins to move in a church, it, it's an extraordinary thing to watch that outside the walls, God will begin to do things. And, and you'll have people calling. You'll have people, again, I've seen entire congregations reconcile. I, I am so, I, I remember a man saying one time, some of the meanest people I ever met in my life, I met in church buildings. And I am so tired of wicked men strutting. And, and to see people like that, you know, it's common in the history of revival that the town drunk, the town atheist came to Christ. And to watch God just break into lives. I remember preaching in Ohio with our ministry, and there was a couple in the church who were in the process of divorce. And 
during the testimony time, the husband came up and, and several people said to the wife, you know, we're praying God puts your marriage back together. And she just got angry. She said, I, I don't want to hear that. He's manipulative. He's going to try to use these meetings. He said, our, she said, our marriage is over. Well, he came up to share a testimony and he just out of brokenness shared the sin of his life. I mean, specifically, he didn't talk about her. He didn't talk about their marriage. He just said, this is where God has found me. And he just wept. And as he began to walk down the steps back to his seat, a center aisle, his wife stood to her feet, fought her way out of the pew, met him in the center aisle, and the two of them embraced and just began to weep. And, and this is what the church had been praying for. You know, we, we've quit believing God answers prayer. And, and as they wept in the center aisle, this amazing joy literally filled. It was an amazing... I get chills thinking about it right now. Just the joy of the Lord filled that room. People were just weeping. And, and, you know, I don't know if this is normal or not, but I can preach and carry on a secondary conversation in the back of my head. And uh, so I'm talking, but in the back of my head, I'm saying, okay, God, what do I do here? What do I do? This is you. I don't, I don't want to stop what you're doing. And you know what? I've never done this before, and I've never done it since. But I leaned forward the microphone, and I said, does anybody feel the need to shout? And let me tell you, it was like somebody took a can of Coke and shook it up and popped it. It just exploded. And people began shouting and shouting and then whooping. You know, whoop, whoop, whoop. And listen, these were northerners, you know. And, and they're just, they're whooping and whooping. And then an amazing thing happened. And this was with no preaching. A soberness settled over the room. And with no invitation, people began streaming to the front. They begin going to each other and repenting and reconciling relationships. Husbands took their wives forward. Parents left the pew, went and found their kids and began to ask forgiveness for issues. You know, our founder used to pray that God would hijack a service. And uh, that's what I pray. I, I'm, I'm tired of everything going on schedule. I, I, if everything in our churches happened according to our plan this year, something's wrong. Uh, we, we need to ask God to hijack, to take it over. Yeah. And the church said amen. It's yours. Um, Go ahead. Okay. You got it. I got it. Uh, some, some just awesome comments. Uh, Michael gave me a tough one, so let me see if I can jump in it. Um, preacher named William Augustus Jones, pastor Bethany Church in New York, who's going home to be with the Lord, but he preached a sermon one time that I shall never forget. And it was the tragedy of being unaware. And in it, he talked about how Solomon, when he laid, uh, Samson rather, laid his head in, in uh, Delilah's lap. And she had cut his hair and he woke up to do as he normally did. But he did not have his power. And he was unaware that he had no power. And I think that part of the hindrance in the church now is that there is an unawareness, and especially in church leadership, in church pastors. And that is, I believe that too many of us, <coughs> we are unaware of the influence of the culture in our preaching, in our doctrine, in our teaching, and the way that we perceive other people. And 
as long as we are unaware of it and it's there and we're not dealing with it, what we are doing is working with a contaminated um, church process from preaching to evangelizing, discipling people. It's all contaminated and therefore we're not seeing the move of God that we are looking for. Um, we're not preaching truth. We are preaching and we are filtering the word that's, that's, that we get out of the Bible through the lenses, through the filter of our culture. We don't, we don't take the paradigm that's in the Bible and make the world fit it. We're making the Bible fit our worldly paradigm. And so I think we've got to change that. And when we change that, that's when we realize that this thing is bigger than us. My ideology ought not matter. But because it does matter, you can, you, you can call all the meetings you want, but our ideologies are going to keep us apart. We serve the same God, but we are so devoted to our ideologies that come from the culture until we will never get together. As long as we are so strongly focused on right and left and liberal and conservative, the church will never come together. Because that ideology has become bigger than the gospel of Jesus Christ. As long as patriotism is bigger than our loyalty to God, uh, you can forget churches having power and because when we do that, we are unaware that we are bowing at another altar that seems good. Do you realize that I can uh, take any Bible, I can burn it up, I can step on it, and very few people will be bothered. But if I step on a flag, I might go to jail. And while that might not mean anything to you, it means to me that we're in a country where a flag has become more important than our word. And as long as that is the case, brother, there's an unawareness on our part that we have put something ahead of God. And so it's, it's our culture it's, it's what we like in worship because of that culture. It's what we don't like. And as a result of that, we're missing the real power of God. Because when, when that comes, all of those things don't mean a thing. The barriers start falling down. And part of my, my personal testimony is that, um, that I used to be caught up in that. And when it came to denominationalism, when it came to culture, when it came to race... I just couldn't get with certain folk because, you know, I know, I know what the Bible says, but, but my beliefs in this other stuff were stronger. And so I didn't fool with certain other folk. But I thank God that changed. And then here's what I say in closing. And so what I, what I heard and, and, and almost believed is that the church was in decline. And I don't say that anymore because there, as, as Tom talked about other places, there are places in America where the church is thriving and they're not in decline. And they say, well, you know that 20-something, that, that 30-something, they don't go to church. They just don't go to your church, but, but they're going to church. And the question ought to be why? Because there are people who have discovered that these other things don't matter, and they are doing a better job of lifting up the name of Jesus than we are in mainline churches, and especially millennials, they are finding those places, and they are on fire um, for God. And, and these are folks that 
that, that don't make the surveys because they don't fool with Barna. And I've always been curious about that because I've been preaching 34 years and I've never gotten a survey. So I don't know. <laughs> and so when he said the churches in America, I, I figure I must be somewhere else because I've never gotten a survey. <laughs> That's all I say. Uh, this meeting that we were in um, in Austin last week, One of the things that Jim Cimbala said is, is the largest growing church in America is the disenfranchised. The people that are rejecting our traditions, our legalism, our Phariseeism, our deacon-possessed churches, our power groups, our cultural and racial divides, and a generation is growing up that's saying, I don't care anything about being a part of you if that's who you are. And then Simbola said this, and he, he can say it. He's built, a, he's built a little struggling church in Brooklyn. I think they're going to make it. Simbola uh, said, you, do, you preach anything other than Jesus. You exalt anything other than Jesus. You exalt your denomination. You exalt your race. You exalt your culture. He said, you preach a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus. The white gospel, the conservative gospel, the alt-right gospel, the black gospel. He said, you preach any gospel other than Jesus, and this is what happens. The Holy Spirit says, bye. I'll see you. Because I came to glorify the Son. And since you want to glorify something other than the Son, you do that without me. Because you don't want me, and you don't need me. And when you get back to Jesus, I'll come back. And you know what the problem is? We are so culturized in our churches that we wouldn't recognize Jesus if he walked in the room. And a lot of our churches would kill him again because he would rattle their cages too much. And he would be offensive. He is offensive. And he would turn over our tables and he would clean house. You know, he never had problems with prostitutes. He never had problems with tax collectors. He had problems with church leaders. Any of you got problems with church leaders? I asked Layman Strauss one day, I said, Layman, I said, you've pastored some churches. I said, how do you deal with bad people in your church? He said, oh, dear brother. He said, I pray for funerals. <laughs> and the Lord has graciously answered many of my prayers. You know, the devil joins churches too. And we have to be discerning. So we're going to take some time for some questions. Now, here's because we're on limited time because you all got things to do and places to go. So what I need you to do is ask a question, not say, you know, I was preaching Sunday on this subject and give us your outline and your thoughts, but just ask the question, okay? All right, we're all sheep. We have to be led. So if, if you've got a question to ask, if you have somebody in particular, uh, can you just stand up and do it? If, if you are too far in the back, John can bring you a microphone. Anybody got a question or have we all solved all the world's problems right here? John, you coming to take over? Okay. Yes, sir.
Uh, it's not an organ recital, uh, but uh, I tell you, Bob Bakke, uh, Bob Bakke taught me how to lead a concert of prayer. Uh, he, he's done some for us at Refresh, and uh, if they gave you information, could you send them kind of what you do on a concert of prayer? Because it's multifaceted uh, kind of stuff, and I could send you what we've done here with some of ours. Tom? Well, it's a prayer meeting. And while there is some human organization about it, it has been my sad experience, and I have participated in this and probably led it in this fashion, and each of these men has as well, where we have gathered to pray, and we've done everything but pray. We've given reports. It's almost as if we are afraid to turn it loose and let people get before God and pray. So I would say, first of all, with all these other definitions, it has to be a prayer meeting. What I would say real quick is um, there is no answer to that question. And if I tell you what it looks like and then you start trying to find that, you might miss it. Because God doesn't show up everywhere in the same way. But I think that that ingredient about it being prayer, you know, you want to look for that. But I'd be afraid to give you a paradigm and then God use something totally different in your church. I've been in prayer meetings where people, before the prayer meeting is over, everybody's slayed and everybody just laid out. And I've been in prayer meetings where everybody stood erect. When they went in, they were erect during the prayer meeting, and it was powerful. Uh, in, in, in fact, um, anybody who was at Mount Zion Sunday would tell you that, that the doctors got, got nervous because we had one lady during the prayer time. She just went completely out, just fell dead, just dead. And for about 20 minutes, dead. And then a little while later, she was back. They thought she was gone. Now, do, is that going to happen every Sunday? Is that, is that going to happen to every person? No. Um, and so I'll just be afraid to say this is what it is because not only will you miss it if it doesn't happen that way, but you may go try to create it, and then you've gotten in God's way. Let, let me answer, answer the question another way um, because I found that uh, prayer meetings are the – good prayer meetings are the result of many other things. Um, that is, a, culture, a, that a, that the spirit of prayer has been prayed for. In other words, that God would pour out a spirit of prayer upon your church. And often we try to solve it through doing uh, meetings when actually the spirit of prayer doesn't exist. So to pray for a spirit of prayer to be upon the church uh, then, then after that, the, the pastor himself has to be the leader of the church in prayer. Uh, he can't designate it to somebody else. He, he can't have a second in command, you're in charge of prayer. Um, he can't delegate it. The, the pastor has to be seen as the man of prayer and as the leader of prayer over the congregation because if he does not lead it, there will be no good church prayer meeting, uh, or there will not be any spirit of prayer in the church. Um, thirdly, uh, prayer meetings are often the result of 
many hundreds of prayers between prayer meetings. That is, a, a spirit of, the spirit of prayer is actually manifesting itself in many ways. One of the, one of the things that I, I teach uh, local churches to try first to begin a, a climate of prayer in your church is, I, I don't know what your church structure is, whether you've got deacons or elders or, or whatever, um, but I, I challenge churches with a, with a lifestyle of 10-second praying. 10-second praying. Pastors, write it down. 10-second praying. And that is this. Um, when, you go into a church, when you go into your church and you see somebody who you haven't seen in three months because they've been sick, you don't say to your wife, oh, look, honey, Joe's in church. Isn't it great to see him? But you say, wait a minute, honey, I'll be right back. And you go over to Joe. Joe, I'm so grateful to see you. And as you're grabbing his hand, shake my hand, and you're, and you're greeting him, you're saying, Father, thank you, O oh Lord, for Joe today. I'm so grateful that he is here in church. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Ten seconds. Don't go more than ten seconds. It, it, it freaks people out. Um, but ten, ten seconds. Don't ask him to pray. Don't ask him to pray. Just out of your conversation, you grab that hand and you pray it into his life. You, and you commit the entire leadership of your church to come to church expecting three 10-second prayers every Sunday morning. I don't know how much your leadership is, but if you've got 10, you've got 30 people being prayed for that week, and 30 the next week, and, and, and the multiplication begins. And the, your people will catch this sense of a prayerful church because it's a prayerful leadership, and they understand that the presence of God between you, that is, in, in a greeting, in an encounter between two people, that the presence of God is, in fact, the most fundamental and essential uh, ingredient in that encounter. Hmm. When people come to church, the greatest need that they have coming to church is an encounter with the living God through, the, through faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, not, not a grand show, not a, even a good sermon, but an encounter with the living God. So start it off with little 10-second snippets. You'll be amazed at how, that, how the culture grows from just small things like that. Yeah. My baptism and the whole subject of prayer came in South Korea years ago. And the pastor of the church where I was preaching asked me if I would like to come to the prayer meetings in the morning. He said, our first is at 4.30, our second is at 5.30. These are our daily prayer meetings. And so I set my alarm early because I wanted to catch a cab down to the church. I was awakened in the morning, not by my alarm, but by the sound of buses because there was another church across the street from my hotel and buses were literally packing the street. A cab could not have gone down the street. Buses were packing the street. People were getting off the buses, streaming into a church to pray. I finally made my way down the street, did catch a cab, went to the, or I, I think someone from the church picked me up, went to the church at 4.30. Let me just tell you that when people show up at 4.30 at church to pray, they don't want to hear announcements. They, they, don't want, they don't want to hear about anything. They want to talk to God. That's what they're there. They're there to talk to God. And, and literally, Bob said this, it is true, the pastor it's not something that you need to organize in order to help you. It's something that you must lead by being a man of prayer and then leading in prayer. You must, 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 as a pastor, lead in prayer. 
the last, this became so ingrained in the culture of that society, the last crusade I, pre I preached was during the morning prayer service. They said, we're going to do, well, this is very unusual, but we're going to set aside time for a crusade. Auditorium was packed, full choir, full orchestra, hundreds of people coming to know Christ, 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. You don't mess around with a prayer meeting to make it a time. Well, we've got everybody, people coming for the prayer meeting. Let's be sure to announce our special thing that we're doing this next week and the giving emphasis we have. No. Pray, and the pastor has to lead it. Uh, one of the things that uh, <laughs> I keep referring to the meeting last week, it's fresh on my mind. Uh, we had 20 guys. We each made about 15-minute presentation. Some, some went a little longer. Uh, but uh, to my shame. <laughs> not to your shame. You, you gave time back. Uh, but almost every one of them said the pastor has to lead it. The pastor has to lead it. Now, they didn't survey me and they didn't survey you. But one survey says the average pastor in America prays for two minutes a day. How in the world are we going to build a prayer culture if that's the best we got? And that's why 50 guys a day are leaving the ministry. Every day, 50 guys a day leaving the ministry because they're trying to do it in their own power. I had a church planner from New York sit in my office in August, and he said, would you come and would you do a refresh in New York? I think I could get 50 pastors to come. He said, we are full of planters who do not understand depending on the Holy Spirit. They got a program, they got a plan, they don't understand depending on the Holy Spirit. You talk to them about the Holy Spirit, they go, yeah, 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 got that, got that. But you see, our strategy is and there is one strategy. Lord, teach us to pray. That's the strategy for how we do everything. Uh, and I am uh, I'm grateful for these men and for their what, what God is doing with them. Listen, God has prompted me by surrounding me with people who don't let me be a slouch. These guys challenge me. I... I bring all these guys in for refresh because hopefully I got enough guys carrying my casket one day. Uh, but, uh, you know, you become like the people you spend time with. I mean, you become like the people. You know how to learn? You learn to pray by praying. By the way, there's a guy, he's not a Baptist. And he would scare the Paducah out of most of you. His name is P. Douglas Small. He's the prayer leader for the Pentecostals. One of the greatest men of prayer I've ever met has written tens of thousands of pages on prayer, has a prayer hotline. He's got 30 days of prayer set aside in January. Project Pray, is it, I don't know if it's .org. Projectpray.org is his website. You can get online. Now, you're going to be praying with people that are Pentecostals and Church of God and Methodists and everything else, and that may freak you out. But God is not a Southern Baptist. He's not even white. <laughs> no, he's not. You know, he's Middle Eastern. He would get a pat down in an airport today. But 
Doug Small has written some of the greatest stuff on prayer. And he says there's three levels of praying. I can't get it all straight in my head right now. Level number one is we plan and then we say, now, Lord, here's our plans and you bless those plans. Level number two is prayer is a part of every ministry in the church. In other words, you know, the youth ministry prays, the children's ministry prays, the adult Sunday school ministry prays. Level three is pray, prayer dictates every ministry of the church. It's not the choir sings, it's the choir prays, and then they sing. It's not that the Sunday school teacher teaches, the teacher prays, and then he teaches. That it is the lead off of every movement and ministry in the life of the church. That's when you have a praying church, when it's a level three church. In most of our churches, at least in Southern Baptist life, most of our churches are not even level one churches. Uh, we use prayer as a bridge. Okay, praise team needs to get off. Somebody pray. Oh, Lord, we're going to pray. And by the time we hear the last foot hit the step, in Jesus' name, amen. We're not talking to God. We're just filling air. Or the only time we pray is at the offering. Or the only time we pray is at the benediction. Lord, bless us as we leave this place and keep us safe on our way home. Amen. Well, we never cry out to God. Listen, just sometime, just sometime, just say, how many of you in here have a prodigal child? Just come to the altar and watch the percentage of your church show up. Well, Terry and I were in a meeting with Jim Simbola a year and a half ago, and he talked about travailing, that our prayers need to be like a woman giving birth. I don't know what that feels like. She does. Uh, but it needs to be like a woman giving birth. And there were 300 people. I'm talking about sharp people at the cove, 300 people in the room. And he said, how many of you have a child that is away from the Lord or a family member that's away from the Lord? I want you to just meet me at the altar. 80% of the room was at the altar. Thursday night, he did the same thing in Austin. It was backed up, church seats, 3,000. The aisles were backed up. These are people that are coming for a concert of prayer. The aisles are backed up to the back row, and he finally has to say to those in the balcony, I see you standing. I know you can't get down here, but God sees. Now, here's just a free word, and we're going to take one more question because we've gone too long. Uh, nobody cares who the Moabites are. What they want to know is, can Jesus help me survive another week? In Albany, Georgia, they, they don't care who the Moabites are. They, they, they're wondering if that's a neighborhood that got hit by the tornado. They just want to know, can Jesus help them to get through another week? Is he who he says he is? All right, one more question real quick. Yes, sir.
been there, done that. I got about 35 t-shirts. <laughs> and, and this is what was the turning point for me because I struggled when I tell you uh, in depression. Um, you know, and I, I just, just give one brief experience. Like I was trying to transition our church, for example, from being a deacon board of directors led church to a deacon ministry. And so I brought in a pastor who led a church like that and he did training for our deacons. And at that point we had trustees and for both of them. And this was on a, on a, um, on a Saturday. The very next Sunday, the chairman of deacons come to me and says, Pastor, I think the deacons need some training. And we've chosen, and he, he called the two deacons on the staff to do the training. I said, sure, y'all go ahead. <laughs> and every, he took notes, and every single thing that that pastor said, he contradicted it. And galvanized them around that board of directors deal, and, and, and that's a mile. And, and here is what, what blessed me. Um, I was reading one day where they asked Samuel for a king, and God said, they hadn't rejected you. They've rejected me. And at that point, I took the church off of my shoulders. And my responsibility is to tell them not to change them. My responsibility is to plant the seed. What happens after that is God's business. And so I stay in my lane and let God have his lane. And mine is just to tell them to plant the seed. I don't have anything to do with the outcome. You know, uh Life Action came to me several years back and asked, kind of informed me, hey, this Thursday we're going to do an eight-hour prayer meeting for our entire ministry. We want you to lead it. And uh, I said, gee, thanks. Uh, I teach on prayer. I've never led an eight-hour prayer meeting. I have no idea what to do with that. And, I mean, and we're a ministry, people, missionaries. And, and I said, God, what's the, you know, nobody writes a book on how to lead an eight-hour prayer time and you know if it's not going you know what your own prayer meetings can be like you're talking about a lot of dead time <laughs> and uh so I said God I don't know where to go with this and I the only thing I could think to do was the day before I took a day and fasted and prayed for eight hours and then God gave me some general direction and and what I've found is the greatest motivation for prayer is answered prayer and when you are verbalizing out of your own life, and that's where prayer, it, it has to start in the prayer life of the pastor or the preacher or whatever. When you're verbalizing answers to prayer that God is giving, people begin coming up and saying, would you pray for me? And then it gives you opportunity to tell people, because a lot of people need to know how to pray. People don't know how to pray. That's why they're always praying for sick people, because they don't know what else to pray for. And, and you just start... Then you begin to, and as I can't emphasize this enough, Bob mentioned this, but to ask the Lord for a spirit of prayer. I think that's a kind of a doctrine we've lost. It is a movement of the Holy Spirit among his people that begins to draw them and stir them to praying. And it's there in almost every, well, in every revival in history that you see the Spirit of God moving in that way. And, um, you know, Matthew Henry said when God designs a mercy for his people, he sets them praying. And so that's the first thing God does when he designs to do work is he'll stir his people to begin to pray. I think I would say, first of all, your discouragement is, um, 
is something that God can turn into great equipment for ministering to discouraged people, and that's most everybody. So rather than just trying to assume that you must not be some spiritual giant because you're discouraged, read the uh, Bible. Uh, start with Elijah. That would, might not be a bad place to start. And discover that this is a, this is a mark of, of most, in fact, I guess all men who, who have significantly impacted this world spiritually. They have been times of discouragement. Secondly, I think a lot of times I have been discouraged because I've had to try, I've tried to have your, your prayer ministry or your prayer ministry or, or your prayer ministry. And what I need to do is start with me and, and really dig a trench and put myself in it and begin to cry out to God and ask him to move in my life. And then only after he moved in my life, then he would show me how to step by step to move forward in, in, in involving other people in, in prayer. And um, I, I, why in the world would we expect not to be encountered with an assault of discouragement when the reality is there is nothing Satan hates more than right. the idea that you might talk to God. He is going to do everything he can. That's the reason most people don't even do it, because it's just too much trouble. It just, it, it's just too hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it, no, be no problem. But Satan absolutely hates it and will pull out everything he could do. He will, the phone will ring, your kids will get sick, your church roof will blow off, you, you, you name it. All kinds of things will happen to keep you from doing the one thing that God wants to set your heart on doing. But keep it up, brother. And I would find, I'd get me a trench partner. I'd get me somebody in the ministry who become a, a praying buddy. I have two mentors right now. One is 90, one is 99. And I, I, like Michael, I don't want to be his friend because his friends are dying. But these, <laughs> he said, in 20 years, we'll all be gone. Hey, I was there and I don't plan to be dead in 20 years. But that's, maybe he does. I don't know. But anyway, uh, I, would, I would encourage you. It, it's so encouraging to have somebody else in the trenches with you on this. Okay. Mark, do we, ha do we have the One Cry book here? Yes. We do. Do we? Yeah, I would really recommend, it's a one cry book. I didn't write it. Um, Bill Elf uh, and Byron Paulus wrote it. It's a six, a six week, six, six lessons on revival. But it has to do, it goes to the heart of the prayer ministry. And I've taken my church through it. Um, I just let a, I didn't let a staff person go. I, I, in fact, I pled with him not to go, but he went anyway. Uh, to go to another church, and he's going to start. He starts his ministry off uh, the first week, uh, going through the One Cry book and the six lessons on revival. But it goes to goes to the heart of this uh, this prayer and environment. And um, we have a circle uh, that we do. That in fact, I have a a rug up on the platform of my church where I preach, and that circle uh, sits underneath the pulpit because. Uh, Whenever I go up to preach, I want to make sure that that, that sermon has been preached to my own soul uh, before I speak it to anybody else. 
And so I go up and it's a prayer of mine that when I stand there on the pulpit to say, Lord, you, 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 you transform uh, everyone inside this circle this morning <laughs> and start, you know, start right here with me. Um, but there is that sense. You start right here with me, oh God, and then let's go, let's see what else we can do. And uh, highly recommend, I, I'd ask, I'd, I'd recommend every one of your churches, you take them through that. And, um, and there's study questions, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it, it'll change the climate in your, in your congregation. Uh, Bill wrote another book recently called The Presence-Centered Church, which is a great book. Uh, great book. He does a blog. If you follow Bill Ellif on Facebook, he does a blog every day uh, out of the overflow of what God taught him that morning. It's an incredible thing to follow. We sometimes repost that on the refresh page. Okay, here's what we're going to do. First of all, I know some of you are not from these parts, uh, but would you just agree with us for God to raise up 31 churches in Southwest Georgia that would claim Southwest Georgia for Christ. And if God lays that on your heart and God shows you that your church needs to be one of those 31, I don't know who to tell you who to call. You call Daniel, you call me, you call Hans, you call Butch. Butch started Pray Albany two, three years ago. Uh, just call somebody and, and let's find a way. Let it be a little organic. You know, let's let God raise it up. Because if I got to call you every month and remind you it's your day, then it's not going to work. You know, it's just like calling a group in my church to remind them every day. Uh, but I think God could raise up 31 uh, churches in our area, across denominational lines, across racial lines, just for one thing. We're desperate about what we want to see God do in our community. So here's what I want to ask us to do for you. When you leave on either side, you can go out either side, and there are the, the life action gifts, there's the, the gifts from uh, Refresh, and, uh, and the guys from the Georgia Convention will be here. Mission Board, I keep calling the convention. Uh, they'll be here and available to you. Uh, to help you to answer any questions that they can. I would ask you to just, I'm going to ask a selfish prayer. If you would pray for refresh as we try to figure out the next steps. This is about number 35 uh, for us. About half of them have been here and half of them have been in other places. About three years ago, we started partnering with North American Mission Board to try to take it to areas of the country where nobody wants to go. And so uh, this past year, we were in Las Vegas with Paul. Where's Paul? I saw Paul in here somewhere. Paul's back there. Uh, we were in Las Vegas at Paul's church uh, with partnering with Nevada Baptist and uh, Utah, Idaho, and uh, did a conference. There's our second one in Las Vegas. Uh, we did them for years in Pigeon Forge, and I decided, you know, I'm doing it in the Bible Belt. There's a conference on every corner in the Bible Belt. I need to go somewhere else. And so we've been to Boston, we've been to Pennsylvania. We were in Pennsylvania last year. We're in Pennsylvania again this year. We're talking about the Midwest, either in Kansas City or Indianapolis. We were in Alaska this past year. Most hungry group of pastors I've ever met, ever met. And some of them, 14 hours to get there. One couple, 
They're six hours from the closest fast food and the closest Walmart. And the fast food is a subway. And they pastor in 192 villages in Alaska. Try that in January. Hungry. Hungry for it. There is a hunger in our land for God to do something. So I just ask you to pray. We don't want to go anywhere that God doesn't want us to go. Uh, we've got all we can say grace over here. Our praise team has all they can say grace over. We got people take vacation time to go and help us do these. And these guys travel with us. They've got busy schedules along with other guys. We just want to know where God's got the next thing uh, for us. And we want to make sure it's the right thing and the next thing. There's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. And uh, there'll be a day when God will say to me, Michael, last one. You're not going to do anymore. And that'll be okay. I don't know when that day will be. Uh, but uh, we're just seeing what the next step is for us with Refresh and how we can bless and encourage uh, pastors. And it's because of people like Life Action and because of people like Kevin Ezell at the North American Mission Board that help us do what we do. Uh, they support us in ways and never set the agenda. Uh, just, just to tell you, you know, typically it's always, can we put our banner up? Can we have 28 minutes in the program? Can we have one of our speakers? Kevin said, I don't need any banner there. He said, you just tell them we love them. And so I'm just telling you that, uh, there are people out there that love pastors. They're not just filling a job. They love pastors. And, uh, God knows we need it. So before we leave, I just would like for you to pray around your table. You may not even know all the people sitting at your table, but would you just pray, just popcorn prayers, short prayers just for one another. God, build in us a culture of prayer. Encourage the brethren, and then, then when you're through, when you're through, you're dismissed.